to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast back for 2020. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the year of perfect vision, the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. But you're a referee, so you can't have 2020 vision. I always have 2020 vision. And you guys are missing things left and right. No. Not, not you. I, I am perfect. You're going to be the one referee that never misses a thing. It's, that is why I'm the world's greatest referee. Well, I'm sure the heels in the match don't appreciate that. Well, you know. There's got to be law and order. Exactly. Someone's got to enforce the rule book around e- here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Patrick, as we enter 2020, what do you have for us from the news desk for this week, sir? Well, we have unfortunately got to cover another death. NWA legend, wild man, Pompeo Firpo. 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 I want to make sure I pronounce that right. Passed away today, actually, at the age of 90 and just shy of his 90th birthday. It's crazy because I'm a huge wrestling fan and historian i did not know who this man was until we started digging into it and turns out he is kind of the spinoff of what became macho man randy savage with the big beard at first which then macho took away but uh the oh yeah was coined by wild man here so that's pretty cool he's not known to most wrestling fans because his career was from 1953 until 86 so right when the wrestling boom period took off wrestlemania 3 87 golden the golden age of wrestling from the 50s the 40s you know 30s 40s 50s 60s so yeah he missed out on the boom period right when it started picking up on the back half of the 80s he had a lot of regional championships in the nwa he even got one challenge one shot at pedro morales when he was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion in MSG. So, wow. Yeah, Main he, evented at MSG. Damn. Uh, we found a really great video that has a lot of his promo work on it, and uh, I'll include it here. Oh, yeah. 
It is I! It is me! Oh yeah! I am Pumper of People! The wild bull of the Pampas! And this is Chimu! The god of luck of the Incas! We both together went for five different continents! What do you expect in this business? This is a very tough... This is a very dangerous business! And danger is my business! In this business, you can ask, you can give any mercy! Right? Right? Yes, his son tweeted out today that his father had passed away at the age of 89. He was uh, just a few weeks shy of his 90th birthday. So, a very inspirational wrestler, especially to a young Randy Poffo. So. Yes. And I, like I said, you and you've even stated, I'm a big historian. I did not know this man, which is very rare, especially for it to be an NWA legend like he was his look also seems to have been very inspirational to bruiser brody yes he looks a lot like bruiser brody yes and acts a lot like him too with the wild crazy antics that we saw in the video and obviously to a lot of samoan wrestlers yes who wrestled through the 80s and 90s took uh, a lot of cues from this guy so a very inspirational wrestler to his look and his promo ability so anybody from the wrestling the golden age of wrestling from the you know the 50s especially the 50s and you know 60s are guys that i love to study the most because that's that's what shaped really what wrestling slowly turned into for the 70s of a dusty Rhodes and a young rick flair into the 80s of the boom era because that's what their childhood was. So that's what shaped them. And so for that to shape them into taking what wrestling is now, because back then it was still kind of a carny type. It wasn't carnival-based, but it was still kind of a carny type thing. You didn't really talk about it. You didn't really – it was a show. You went to, boom, done. It wasn't like there was fans of it. It was like going to the ballet or some shit like that or going to a concert. You had to get your idea for your character just based on what you see. Correct. That works. And and, and that's the thing is the, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, and the 60s in my book is, is something that needs to be uh, truly covered at more in depth than I think it really has been because, like I said, you know, childhood heroes of ours – that shaped wrestling to what it is today, such as like Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Magnum TA, you know, Ricky Steamboat, great NWA legends like uh, Harley Race and just Andre the Giant and all these big men type concepts. Hulk Hogan, who took his from Superstar Billy Graham. Well, Superstar Billy Graham took his from further back with mixing in uh, Gorgeous George. With right, a, Gorgeous George is probably the most inspirational wrestler from that era, really. To the the boom period of wrestling in the 80s, everybody was incorporating elements of Gorgeous George into their character. Well, Ric Flair, to this day, is a spinoff, is 50-50, Gorgeous George, and the talking style of Buddy Rogers. 
of Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. That is this, that is what Ric Flair is, and he will be the first one to admit it, and which is great. And so, um, and I've said it on here before, and I don't think it's really televised or covered that much. Wrestling did have a big boom in the, the 50s slash 60s when TVs were starting to be somewhat coming out into homes that you could buy. An actual poll was taken back in the day covering, well, what's the reason you're buying this? And 75 to 80% was Gorgeous George in the northern states because gorgeous george was this that entertaining to watch and i mean i can't imagine seeing him in color let alone the video footage that i've seen of him in black and white and so i think uh, him and luthez definitely are the two major looked at from that golden age of wrestling now if you want to go back to the very beginning you got pat o'connor you got um gene Konitsky. You're going down the line past Frank Gotch. Frank Gotch. You're going back towards the uh, the older days with um, so yeah, all the way back to the very first champion George Hackenschmidt, who um, won the NWA title, and that is the very first looked at champion. And so I think you know cover those. We don't really know much about, but yeah, George Hackenschmidt, Pat O'Connor, a lot of them back in the day, but that was more ballet style. They were also trying to keep up the illusion that it was shoot, that it was... And some of it was legit shoot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, these were grappling contests. Yeah. Luthez went, I mean, he's even stated it, it's been recorded that he stated one time he went five hours. Five hours straight in a match of it was real grapple here we go and that's insane one of the reasons that era doesn't get covered as much is because like you mentioned a lot of that footage from that era and even the 50s and 60s was not recorded on a vhs it wasn't on something easy it was regional television it was live you had no way of saving it and if they did save it it was on a reel of film and that doesn't age well if it's not preserved it it degrades and it you can't which is which is a lot like vhs tapes today it's nothing against i mean i love vhs vhs tapes but even some of my wcw vhs's they just wear out the well and it's not it's the film it's not that the thing it's the film itself it will slowly decay because it's still film and that's the thing the roles of film that everybody thinks of film like oh man the movie era the big role of film you know yeah that's the case but that doesn't hold up and that's why now it is good to have this digital age where everything is being uploaded and everything is being set in a much safer way because as much as I would love to get into the WWE archives of what they actually have because you know they actually have some old film like that. And, uh, oh, definitely, but if you load it into the player, it might burn up as you try to play it. Correct. Yeah. So there are, and they pay millions of dollars for professionals to come in clean this maintain and that's it, why you don't see it a lot take on the care network. of it right to take care of it and then also to slowly try to transfer it over right you have to do it in real time yes. digitize it in real yes. time and like. so 
We're talking about it's weird because the footage that I've actually seen of George Hackenschmidt and some of the others, it's very quick footage, but there is no sound. There is it's silent movies. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah, it's because silent movies. That was a whole nother thing too, was getting the sound with it. Yes. So. It's silent movies, so you're sitting there watching. If you happen to go to a movie theater and there's a, you know, you're watching wrestling at a, on a big screen at a movie theater, which did happen back in the day. And um, the Memorial Auditorium and the Tivoli here in Chattanooga, the Memorial Auditorium is historic because of that very fact that it held even before Channel 12 here started covering wrestling with. Uh, Nick Goulas and them, it carried a, it had a giant movie projection screen that carried monthly wrestling that didn't have sound. We're talking about picture show wrestling. The Nickelodeon, basically. Yes. Yeah. The picture show wrestling with no sound, no nothing. And um, so that's why it's so historic, especially here in, in Chattanooga. But, and a lot of people do not know that. It's one of those rare things I've found. That era, believe it or not, this the era that Wildman came from shaped what was to become Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Ricky Steamboat, Harley Race, you know, all of these great guys. All these guys that we now look at and that even kids today go, damn, dude. Like, you know, there's not you cannot tell me a ten year old is does not know who Hulk Hogan is or does not know who Ric Flair is or is not going online or on the WWE network to look at these guys and go, Man, I wish I wish I could have seen that live. There's yeah. kids today. Wrestling kids today. That is why WWE does so much with the legends part of it, because legends are are what people want to see. And, the, and their archives, I mean, from the heyday in the 80s, yeah. was well-preserved. And so right. it can easily, you have all this footage. I mean, Correct. and they taped everything. Correct. That's one credit I'll give to Vince and the WWF, even before this, you know, Monday Night Wars and all this stuff, is that they were taping and saving and preserving everything. That's the thing. The 70s, when it was... You know, Vince Sr., and it was the World Wide Wrestling Federation. You talked about Pedro Morales, superstar Billy Graham. There's great video footage of them in Madison Square Garden. And, I mean, I still, to this day, and I swear to God, I'm going to make you sit through it one of these days, but the full three-hour show where they just set up a hard camera, and you can see the bull rope match of Dusty Rhodes, the NWA champion, taking on superstar Billy Graham for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation title. And just stuff like that, that they have... And that's from 76, man. And so it's like that stuff that they have done very well to keep, maintain, and you know protect. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot, of res- a lot of wrestling that has been lost. And well, and some of it also has to do with rights and people not wanting. To yeah, Jim Cornette is is another really big historian that has a very well based video archive of that kind of stuff. I believe he owns. He has. You used to talk about rights. I could be wrong in this, but I believe he owns any and all rights to Mid-Atlantic and owns the entire start-to-finish of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. 
every video archive he has updated, kept, and is preserved, which is crazy. That's why WWE doesn't have a lot of Mid-Atlantic because of that very reason right there. There's multiple issues as to why I think they don't focus on it as much. And also it's it goes back to Vince's ego and the stars that he built once he took over the company. Right. So there's a lot to untangle with, with why they don't focus so much on, on Legends and stuff. Well, that's the thing, and I would love to have gone back and just watched uh, Wildman here take on Pedro or just watch some of the guys that he stepped foot in the ring with because over I mean he was almost 90 we're talking about almost 40 plus year career from the heyday of the start right when it started getting big with Gorgeous George and them in the 50s to all the way up to the boom of the start of the 80s that's insane to think of how many people he had to have crossed paths. That's like Ric Flair, man. Ric yeah. Flair's, you know, it's one thing to have a career spanning 20 years. It's another thing to have a career spanning 30 years. You start hitting the 40-year mark, you start hitting the 50-year mark, or God forbid somebody like Ric Flair who has been in the ring for, what, almost, was it 52, 53 years? <laughs> He's been in wrestling well, yeah, someone that, that went through so many generational shifts in, in pro wrestling because you just said a 20-year career. So this is the year 2020. A 20-year career that started in 2000 does, Kurt Angle. doesn't really cover a lot. It's so much hist- There's not so no. much history in, in, the, in these last 20 years as opposed to someone that, that went from 85 to 2005. But perfect, perfect example, Kurt Angle. Okay. Kurt Angle started at the end of 1999. Okay, Royal Rumble 2000 was him was Taz's first match. He was still, I believe, Kurt Angle started at Survivor Series, so he started in November of 1999. Kurt Angle retired from wrestling, shy of doing 20 years. On that special with Stone Cold and Mark Calloway, because he was out of character as The Undertaker, I mean, Stone Cold even mentions, oh, my career was only like 14 years total. I mean, That's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. biggest star in wrestling. A guy that's, they did that Mount Everest, uh, there was a tweet about it. I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. And there were four pictures, I think Sports Illustrated tweeted it out. And there was tons of responses, tons of responses. But Austin was constantly in every every damn one. one, and had a relatively short career. Yeah. So and that's someone like Shawn Michaels. What eighty seven, eighty eight, retired in two thousand six. Well, with that one exception, when he came out of retirement. Well, but. I'm just saying when he, you know, but that's also taking a seven year break. As it well. was uh, was it seven four. four years four years okay that's also well four years with gaps when he lost his smile I mean he had a lot of he had a lot of downtime he wasn't grinding it I guess the only current roster member of the WWE really that has been through these generational shifts was Undertaker coming in at the end of the eighties boom seeing the late nineties boom and then seeing unfortunately the decline of the 2000s and yeah. uh, onward. But, I mean, he's the only cross-generational star with the company now that I think that you 
you could compare to somebody like like a Ric Flair that went through all these yes. drastic changes in the yeah. business. So yeah, um, that's that's just insane though to think about a forty plus year career is. Like I said, man, twenty. If you had a twenty-year career, you had a damn good career in wrestling. Okay, well, fifty-three to eighty-five. So he had he had thirty-two years. I mean, thirty-two years is pretty impressive. That's what I'm saying. If you had a twenty-year career, that's impressive as hell. If you had a thirty-year career, damn. You had a forty or fifty-year career. Holy shit! And that's the that's the thing is like I talk about him. I miss him every day. Ivan Koloff. Fuck, Ivan Koloff wrestled for over 40 years. Ivan Koloff literally saw so almost, many... Sh- almost right until the very end. I, uh, yeah. I mean, hell, we were at a show with him, and he got in the ring. Threw a chain on a guy, yeah. Go, suiting up. Bullet Bob still doing appearances every once in a while. Exactly. He just retired last year. Yeah. Officially retired from in-ring last And how long... God... He was wrestling. Jeez, man, you're t- that's an easy thirty years. Easy, At and least. I don't know the exact count, but that easy thirty years. That's impressive. That's a damn good career. John Cena. Now listen, we can give John Cena a lot of shit, okay? But John Cena's coming straight out. Right at two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I'd say he started getting. Hot in 2003, probably. Okay. Because he debuted in 02. Right. With the tag team with, with B squared. Right, right. Okay. So, 02. We're talking about when you're on your hot mark, not working indies, because he probably did that for four years anyway. But we're talking, okay, 02 still to this day comes in and does matches. Now, he has slowed way down in the past two or three years. But, dude. You're looking at – he's pushing that that Austin – he's pushing that 20-year mark. I think my point was more of people that have seen – it's not just the length of your career. It's what, what happened to the industry during that time because as, as great as Cena has been for 17 years in the WWE, he's unfortunately seen a downturn in yeah. the business. Now, he, he was their one – he was their he one He was their shot. one bring up – yeah – he was, he was their, their one star. He yeah. carried the place. Love him or hate him or whatever. When Rock was gone, because, I mean, Austin left. Rock kept coming here and there. You know, when Rock left, he was their guy. Oh, it was Cena and it was Orton. I mean, that was pretty much their one and two. And, I mean, Orton just to this day has never – that initial character he had. But, I mean – but I don't even he's show. Not a, he's not somebody you could go down the street and say, do you know who Randy Orton is? And I don't think most people would. No. But if you said, do you know John Cena, they probably would because he's made a name for himself outside of wrestling. He's, right. He's transcended the sport. So Right. Um, anyway. But uh, we've gone on about it. But still, man, that's insane. And now that I have found out more information about this, man, I want to go back and do a lot of studying and a lot of history on him. Well, and it's extremely rare for a wrestler to live till the age of 90. Very, very rare. Especially after a career of 30-some-odd years. Yes, very rare. You and I have talked about this. I loved the dark side of the ring. Loved it. Still to this day, watch some of the past episodes from earlier past. It was what the summer of 
you know, this past summer. Yeah, yeah. It was only like five or six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Went by very quickly. But it got so much people tuning into it and so much people talking about it and tweeting about it and the social media thing about it and all that that now it's coming back for a second season. Yeah, it brought a lot of attention to Viceland, which is a pretty uh, relatively low-key network, and it got them a lot of attention. And the episodes, for the most part, were pretty well done. I have more favorite episodes than others. What is your favorite thus far? I'm curious now, actually. I loved the Von Eriks, but I'm biased on that aspect as well. I like the Bruiser Brody one as well. The Gino Hernandez episode was probably my favorite one. That one was very, very well done. Because the Von Eriks and Gino were both covered in the WWE's world-class championship wrestling dvd and i thought the von eric story was pretty much done done as well if not better in the wwe's documentary i mean they were i mean the the, it was called triumph and tragedy and it had a picture of the von erics on the cover of it so yeah uh, that got the most focus so i didn't learn that much more in the von erics thing but i thought the gino one was really interesting and to see his family and to uh, hear the theories about his his passing and his dealings with the drug dealers or whatever he was into was very I, interesting. I really hope they cover Dino Bravo. That right there is one that I really want them to cover. Yeah, well, they've got. I mean, unfortunately, it, wrestling has a ton of if you topics. don't. Well, let short period. Little side note here. We'll just keep it short. Uh, Dino Bravo who was in the process of trying to make extra money by smuggling smuggling cigarettes cigarettes across the border and unfortunately he was taking business away from the mob because that was one of their their money key money po- uh, points yeah cigarettes are very expensive in Canada I remember from the one trip that I went to Canada uh, it was me and a couple of friends, and we had a carton of cigarettes with us because we were cool and we were smoking at 18 or whatever. And so we took a carton of cigarettes with us. But I remember being on the street and, I mean, not even having, not even smoking at the time. And people come up to me, hey, do you have a cigarette? I'll give you a dollar for it. At the time, the exchange rate, a Canadian dollar, was like a dollar fifty hours. So you're making a lot of money um, yeah. on these cigarettes. So. Yeah, to smuggle them in, was it's really easy because you're at the border. I mean, pre-9-11 especially, definitely super easy to get them across. When you enter the country, they say, do you have anything to declare? You just say, no, nah, don't have anything. It's not like they're going to take a drug. A drug dog's not going to pick up your cigarettes. So. Right. It's Canada. I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not that straight. Yeah, so, yeah, Dino Bravo, uh smuggling he, cigarettes from the states and he ended them. up yes and he ended up um taking some money from the mob in the process because that was their business they thought and uh he had gotten quite rich at doing it in a very short period of time and became part of well you put two and two together he's no longer with us and was found dead so because i'm not about to say it because i the wrong person hears it and will end up being a deep shit ourselves. Uh, I, th- so, I, th- I think they took out their target, but he was he, <laughs> was he was found shot multiple times, like in his recliner, like point point blank range. Yes, very. Anyway, um, 
but yes, there are there are unique situations. I mean, that's horrible, and I'm not trying to make it sound that the way it's going to. But there are unique tragedies that have happened in wrestling, such as Dino Bravo, that um, I really would love to hear. Because while I know a lot of details, the um, about different stuff. Like you said, the Gino Hernandez one, I knew about 50% of it, and the other 50% I learned on the fly. And the other one that I knew um, just in short conversations with the you know certain people that were in it uh, was Bruiser Brody. But I knew only then about half the story, and not even half. And so that was really interesting to pull back the curtain and actually fully sit down and give the whole story because everybody had their version, but nobody had the balls to come out and tell the truth. And that was pretty in- interesting for me to uh, to see. But anyway, I loved it. You loved it. The world loved it. It's coming back for a second season. One tragedy that has been brought up that is going to be covered in season two is ECW's mass transit. And the mass transit incident is um, a very sad... Yeah, New Jack nearly killing a guy. Yes. Well, it was a kid who lied about his credentials and lied that he was trained by the proper people and was not... And this is why you don't lie. But and even despite that, there's no excuse for New Jack taking the chunk of this man's scalp that he took out of his head. Oh, he, he sliced him from from temple to temple and yeah. all the way to the skull. Yeah, We're not talking about, I mean, it was a faucet at which point in time the EMTs at the three count were already getting in the ring. And we're not, oh, it's EMTs going to put them on stretch and roll them out. No, we're, we got towels. We're trying to do blood transfusions. We're trying everything in the world to keep what little bit of blood that was left in this man's body because, or this boy's body because there was a lot gone. Yeah, I mean, New Jack almost got put in jail for that. Yeah, it was almost manslaughter. It really was because, and unfortunately, well, he didn't die from that. No, but I'm saying it. It was touch and go for the kid for couple of days and uh unfortunately though it did leave him uh permanently disabled um well the size of this man he had other issues well other than- but in a mental status i do believe i'm not 1000 percent sure on that there was there was some leftovers from the incident that well, were yeah, lifetime if I take a chunk out of your head patrick you might not be the same after <laughs> lifetime uh yeah but uh, even then, though, he died. The kid died like, I mean, he became a man, but even then, he, well, he died like 26, 27 years old. This man was very, very large, though. He had several other health issues unrelated to Yeah, he that. was he was easy 400. Yeah, I mean, that's why he was called mass transit. There was a lot of mass. And at the time, he was 16. 17. I don't think he was that young. He was not 18. Happened in 96. He was born in 80. So yeah, he was sixteen. He was yeah, sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So he was yeah, he was sixteen or seventeen. So that's and to be pushing 
easy 400. He just turned 17. So. To be pushing easy 400 pounds, that's uh He lied about his age, said he was 23, and then he said he was trained by Killer Kowalski. Yes. Who was at the show yes. and didn't uh, say anything. So The thing that saved New Jack from facing charges is that Mass Transit asked him to blade him. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to that one. I it's hard to find the video, but I found it and sent it to you a couple of years ago, and I don't even know if that link is still up. But if you can find the video, you know what? If you do find a link to the video, send it to us, because I would love to watch the match again, because that is one of the most difficult clips in wrestling to find mass transit died at the age of 22 due to complications from uh, gastric bypass surgery so he was trying to lose weight uh through gastric bypass 22 yeah that's that's young but as i mentioned i mean this guy he had had other yes he had health problems but there was some mental issues left over from this incident it was a lifelong traumatic incident for this for this kid it was Mass Transit's father that vouched for him and said that he was trained. So, another topic they're going to focus on, they're going to do an Eddie Guerrero episode. So, which I hope they actually show a little bit more in depth than what WWE kind of. I don't know how much footage WWE is going to allow them to use. I don't know about footage, but I hope that they will get some more. You'll get a much realistic story I'm hoping of what really went down instead of just oh he had a heart attack because I think there was a lot more leading up to that we'll just have to wait and see to see if there's any anything new to come from the Eddie Guerrero story it hasn't been announced but I would assume at some point in time they're going to do a Benoit one um, just to try to think of some off my head there in the two most high profile cases from the WWE and that's the death of Owen Hart and Chris Benoit they will have no cooperation to get clips from the WWE and that's going to really really stop them from doing a thorough job so yeah that's that's the obstacles they face with that uh, with Eddie where it's if it was just a heart attack and it's really a story of him actually overcoming his demons and then from the damage done. So they'll give them footage for Guerrero probably, but not for Benoit, not for no. one. Which I don't know how they would end up getting any from him unless it's pictures from PWI. and With Benoit, they can use Japanese footage. They can use maybe some stampede clips that yeah. the WWE doesn't have access to. Stuff that Bret Hart probably has. Yeah, uh, but it'd be pretty hard to build a documentary around him without having access to WWF, WCW, and ECW footage. Yeah, a lot of Japan stuff, though. Yeah, a lot of Japan stuff is available. Austin Gunn, the son of Billy Gunn, has signed a contract with AEW. Son of ass. Son of ass. Son of Mr. Ass. Yes, he was on AEW Dark the other day tagging with his father i am congratulations it was a given in my book no offense but let's be honest right or wrong yeah i thought that he had signed with roh a few months prior but i guess not no i thought he had too so i'm wondering how he got out of that contract i'm wondering what went down on that one 
Well, the state that Ring of Honor's in, they probably don't care if you want to quit. You can probably just quit. Oh, you can buy your contract. No problem. Yeah. So. We'll take the money. Yeah, dude. It's uh, it's. I tuned in, and it's rough. There was not not a lot of fans at the one specific show I watched. So um, it is what it is. But, okay, congratulations to him. We move forward. Now, the AEW I really want to talk about is this Wednesday's AEW Bash at the Beach. Yes, Bash at the Beach. Cody went and got all these trademarks, as many as he could. He didn't get them all, though, because after the WWE saw that he got Bash at the beach, they went and then registered for Road Wild and Hog Wild and Halloween Havoc and all these old trademarks that they hadn't used in years because apparently if you don't use them, they will expire. And so you can go get them. This is how that guy ended up with Superstars of Wrestling. Yeah. And they've never been able to get it back. So WWE has refiled these trademarks. That's why they do that Starcade event every year. It's to keep that name in use so no one else can take it so i would love to see halloween havoc yeah halloween havoc would be really fun uh this bash at the beach show i'm not really expecting much from it it's not an outdoor show no they're doing a show on jericho's cruise the week after that which might be interesting for the most part it's really just cody just saying hey guess what i did you guys middle finger to you well i mean i still love the uh wcw side of me uh, I love Bash at the Beach, and I, you know, one of the most historic moments in wrestling history happened at Bash at the Beach. But um, yeah, so it's kind of cool. Plus, side note: the original Bash at the Beach, one specific person that was a part of the original, very first Bash at the Beach, is going to be a part of this Bash at the Beach. Yes, Diamond Dallas Page is coming back for a tag team match where I imagine that this man will stand in the corner, get a tag, and do a diamond cutter. And boom. That's it. Bang. Also, Arn Anderson, now the official manager of Cody Rhodes, so you have his involvement as well. I like that. Arn Anderson does need to be on, on screen, just like Tully needs to be on screen. Arn's an amazing talker. I don't think Cody needs him. And Arn is an amazing talker. He's a terrible play-by-play man, as we're about to find out. Horrible play-by-play. A terrible play-by-play man. And I, you're talking, listen, y'all, if you don't know, you should. I love Arn Anderson. And by listening to this podcast throughout the years, I'm assuming you do know that. So not a knock on Arn, but... He is fucking terrible on play-by-play. AEW Bash at the Beach, that should be interesting to check out. Anything I, else? That's it. I'm tuning into it. I hope you do, too. And I hope you fans tune into it as well. Wanted to mention CM Punk tweeting out to The Miz after an episode of Backstage. CM Punk hasn't been on Backstage in a few weeks. He took most of December off. Miz was on there, and uh, the WWE on Fox Twitter account sent out uh, a tweet with Miz's picture in it and something he said on the show, like I, something like, sorry, I didn't change the culture or something to that effect, to which Punk sent a tweet back that said, go suck a blood money covered dick in Saudi Arabia, you fucking dork. <laughs> and then he deleted it. And um, Which I said when I found, a, found out about this to you, 
before we went on air that that is the CM Punk I wanted to see in front of the camera. Yeah, had he said this on the show, it would be mainstream news, but it's gone away largely. I'm just bringing it up because I found it interesting. The Miz had the quote, Oh, sorry, I didn't change the culture, which is what Punk said when he made his surprise debut on Backstage. So I don't know what the beef is between... Miz and CM Punk. I don't know if it was a late night tweet. I don't know if CM Punk was just really sleepy and just I don't know. Some alcohol happened. might have been involved. Uh, he's straight edge. He doesn't drink. Oh, that's though, true. So. That is true. I don't know, man. He he likes to he he's a pipe bomb. He likes to just go off. So I had just a few podcast related notes before we get into the review. We will still be on SoundCloud for the year 2020 because. Our webmaster, who is a very nice gentleman uh, named Russ, uh, was planning to migrate all of our podcasts over to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com, but he did not get with me before our SoundCloud rolled over. So we're up for one more year on SoundCloud, so you will still be able to enjoy the show on SoundCloud. But eventually the goal is to move everything to the RetroWrestlingPodcast.com uh, website and also turn it into a news site, a more personable uh, interface, and really the best way to enjoy the podcast is on a podcasting app. But if you use SoundCloud to listen to us, it's not going away at least until 2021. So well, that's... and you also, I mean, when we get, you can all I do it now already because I'm just that great. But you can also see video clips of yours truly talking about wrestling's normal day-to-day workings so there you go stuff to look forward to we hope to do a lot in 2020 with the retro wrestling podcast.com website and maybe even be able to buy a t-shirt or something who knows if things keep going the way they're going at one of my real jobs we will definitely have more free time to focus on uh this little podcasting project of ours so that's the update on SoundCloud, so I spoke too soon, though it is in the works. So we're going to be on SoundCloud for a little bit longer. Eventually. Russ, Russ is our behind-the-scenes hard worker that does not get credit whatsoever. So, And you as well. You do a ton of fucking work. I'm mm-hmm. just the celebrity that comes in and runs my fucking mouth. You are the hardest-working man behind this microphone. And for that... Us, the fans, and myself, thank you, sir. All I do is edit. That's really, uh, and I've gotten really sloppy at that. So maybe more free time in 2020 to clean up uh, our act a little bit. (laughs) All right. So it was my pick heading into the new year. We had covered the very last Thunder. We'd covered the very last Nitro. We'd covered the very last WCW pay-per-view. So why not cover the one and only last time that the WCW title was defended on WWF. Well, it technically wasn't the last time the WCW title was defended because... Okay, well, let me rephrase that. The one and only last time that WCW was the main event of a WWF show. Well, they did it one more time on a SmackDown, and I'll have to look that up, and we'll save that one for another week. They didn't do... The world title, I believe it was a cruiserweight match. I think Sugar Shane Helms, I think, might have been in it or something like that. But they did it twice. 
But this even one, after this disaster, they said, "Yeah, we're still gonna, we're still gonna we'll try travel. it one more time." Yeah, wh- why the hell not? Well, they probably had already booked it, and they taped on Tuesday, so yeah, we're gonna do it. Yeah, I mean, and then we'll course correct <laughs> next week and totally change everything. So we've actually covered a lot around this episode of Raw because we've covered King of the Ring 2001, which is the pay per view that was a few weeks before this Raw. Edge won, King of the Ring. Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon had a barn burner. Tore the fucking house down. I mean, Kurt Angle had a hell of a night in general. Jeez, man, that was his third match, Probably the greatest night of Kurt Angle's wrestling. I mean, if I could pick out one pay-per-view to say, if you really love Kurt Angle, this is probably... That's true, because the tournament matches, he he wasn't just going through the motions. He was... He, they were knocked down, drag out, great ma- matches, and so to do three solid great matches in two hours was impressive. Yes, and it probably the reason his career ended after about nineteen years. Yes, is for nights like that. So we've covered King of the Ring two thousand one, and then we also covered the Invasion pay per view. So we've covered the two pay per views that sandwiched. This show. This was a very interesting episode of Raw because, yes, as you mentioned, this was really the only time that they gave WCW a shot (laughs) as its own brand. Its own entity. Right. This was before, I don't know if it was the week after or maybe two weeks later is when they said, okay, well, ECW's joining the invasion too because this fucking sucks. (laughs) And totally threw it out the window. And it was now the alliance against WWF, not just WCW versus WWF. It probably was the following Monday after this. <laughs> There's probably the minute Raw went off the air that Vince said, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen. This is the July 2nd, 2001 episode of Monday Night Raw from the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. They were going to be in Atlanta next week. Buff Bagwell will tell you in every shoot interview you listen to, he is just, to this day, very upset that they didn't wait until Atlanta next week to try this. I do agree with him, though. I do agree. I still think it would have failed, not to the degree it failed tonight, but I still think it would have failed because they didn't do some things that you need to do to establish interest in a match, and that is give the wrestlers promo time or video packages. No, w- you got a quick booker at the Coke machine. Yeah, and, yeah, buying a Pepsi. He couldn't work a dollar at the Pepsi machine earlier in the night. And you got And saying, hey, to test. Yeah, and you got a Buff passing Shane in the hallway and Buff talking about he's got this one in the bag. That was it. Swear to God, that was your video promo build. For this match. Yeah, because, okay, the Monday Night Wars divided audiences. Okay, yes. you probably liked one more than the other, or you probably, like me in my case, I started out diehard. I loved WCW Nitro, but as it progressed and as things started going downhill, I checked out. I said, sorry guys, I'll see you later. I'm going over here to watch the WWF because I enjoy it a lot more. And so See, and I am I am the exact opposite. I was WCW die hard 
until it died. Yeah, so you have a divided audience already, and there's some people that when WCW, like you, when the final Nitro aired and that was it, they probably were never coming back. There's just so many things wrong with with how they did this. <laughs> it's bad. Well, because... It's very bad. Okay. <laughs> WCW went out of business in March. This is July. So right. April, May, June. So three months. Less than 90 days from the closure of WCW. That means tickets for this Raw probably went on sale maybe before WCW was out of business. Correct. And the product was still hot at the time. Correct. So these were WWF fans buying tickets to see a WWF show. Correct. And even if tickets were still available, there was no way to know, even if you were a WCW fan, that this was going to happen. There was a lot of WCW posters out in the fans tonight, though. There were a few, but not many. I mean, compared to the thousands of signs, because that's something that's sort of gone away from pro wrestling when... When Raw was hot, I mean, it was That's n- true. massive Everybody signs. brought a sign. Now people are too fucking shitty to even want to carry a piece of cardboard into a damn arena. So you got Final Nitro where Shane says he's going to buy WCW. Yes. Then you then you go into WrestleMania X7 and the WCW guys are up in the skybox. Yes. And then nothing. And then a few months later, you get Booker T running into some matches. And you get some WCW guys running into matches. You get Mike Awesome winning the hardcore title. You get this very weird integration. And you get Linda siding with Shane and saying, WCW's coming. We're coming to get you, Vince. Your time is up. But you're still presenting WCW wrestlers. Okay, well, Linda sided with Shane because we're, we're coming off the heels of him and Trish. Right. And the whole fuck up of, like putting her in a, in a induced coma. Pro- yeah, when she woke up at X7. <laughs> Proceed. I want, to exp- I want to explain why Linda sided with Shane. It's yeah. not like she just chose him. There's Well, yeah, in, in shoot, there's really no reason. Yeah, you're going to put my husband's company out? Of, you're going to put our company out of business? Yeah, exactly. Oh, great, I'll side with you. Yeah. The run-ins are a good idea to some degree because it's like, oh, stars are coming. You know, something's... It just hit out of nowhere. Something is brewing. Like, even interference at King of the Ring. Booker T was at King of the Ring, interfered in the title match and stuff like that. And then he would just disappear into the night. And so, okay, this is building to something. DDP at King of the Ring with him and Sarah. And gets his ass kicked. Not a clear winner. They roll out, and boom, this shit still leads into this right here. As far as trying to establish it as a separate brand, well, WWF ran into some problems because the original idea was Raw could be WWF, and they were going to give SmackDown to WCW. And they went to UPN and said, we'd like to rebrand the show as WCW whatever. Nitro or Thunder. I don't know what they wanted to call it. They could have called it WCW SmackDown. (laughs) I don't know what the plan was. And UPN said... Uh, no, WCW sucks. It's a dead brand. Fuck you. No, we are not doing that. So they got shut down on that. Which would have then, in turn, been the split brand like which, we yeah, have Raw and SmackDown today. Which, yeah, which is exactly yeah what happened anyway, except now it's all just WWE this and WWE that. It was just the WCW brand was so damaged they didn't want to touch it. So then you're in a weird spot where it's like, okay, they also didn't acquire all the contracts of the major stars. They didn't get Goldberg. Hogan. 
Luger, Hall Nash. Yeah, I, I mean, because all those all those guys had guaranteed contracts that still had years left on them. They that Turner was going to pay out. Right, Turner and Tom Warner that was buying out Turner had to follow through with those contracts. Now these guys were given an option to walk away from their contracts, like DDP did. To go and be a part of this invasion angle. And sign for less money. And sign for less money. But he did it. Other guys like Hogan, Hall, Nash, Goldberg, the rest of them, they got paid to sit on their ass. Which is what they were doing anyway, let's be honest. Yeah. So they got paid to sit on their ass until the contract was up and then go, oh, fuck, what do we do? Pick up the phone and call Vince and beg for a job. And even guys like Rey Mysterio, he... His contract was guaranteed for another Yeah, he wrote that shit out, too, man. Yeah, so even your best cruiserweight you couldn't get to come in. Scott Steiner's contract was... The initial problem with the WCW invasion angle, I think doing these little teases would have been good if you could have stretched it out until you got a couple more key players, like a Goldberg and Scott Steiner. I mean to their faults and to their detractors or whatever. Those got those guys were our stars. Yeah. I mean there's no denying it. And then eventually you can incorporate the Hogans and the Halls and I'm just trying to think of guys that weren't really known for their WWF runs prior because you know that's I mean even even somebody like Lex Luger was going to sit uh, I mean it, that would have been something to see him back like Savage yeah, I mean Savage had pretty much slowed down and and the way he left the WWF, I don't know if there was any chance of reestablishing that relationship. I mean they eventually did for that video game in 2011 or whatever right before, right before he passed. I think you could have kept doing these teases and run-ins and interference and just had Shane in the background saying something's coming. You got to watch out yeah, something's coming. Cuz instead of giving it a four-week lead way like they did (laughs) that turned into like a two weeks and then we got to throw more people in because of this show right here um i agree with you had you gone a good three four months i loved mike awesome running into madison square garden and here's why because it was not only him running in it was done perfectly perfectly that he slides in there it's the hardcore title 24-7 roll hits a power bomb one two three he's in he's out he's got the belt he hops in the limo and they fly like a bat out of hell out of there it wasn't like a ddp standing in the ring at king of the ring but it was like you said a booker t jumps the guardrail hits a side fall away slam through an announce table to austin hops the guardrail and boom he's back out what the fuck those quick little run-ins like that like booker t like mike awesome just to remind you that something hey is we're coming. here yeah you can go on with your shit wwf but we're here and we can we can do what we want to do because see that that would have followed through with what wcw was so loved for was fuck we're not going anywhere because yeah, well, that's what Bischoff had said it was. Well, we're not going anywhere. We're I mean, here to... Yeah, you could have even waited a, a year, not even a year, and had Bischoff God, that would have been great. Holy shit. And 
In the meantime, I think you can also take these guys that, I mean, the guys that they did sign outside of the three, I'd say, stars that they were able to get at the start and send them to tracks and give them the WWF rundown and and retrain them because that's what WWF does is break you down and build you the way they want to build you. And so, but in the meantime, you have Shane McMahon and you, just like those old New World Order ads, you have paid for by Shane McMahon and just have WCW ads and, and have the promo pieces of this is Booker T. Look at him and he's beating guys that like Sting and Hogan and just whoever else he, he was able to pin. You show the best of him. You build him up. You build these guys up for months. Yeah. And then when you finally get the couple of stars that are missing to make this thing actually work, then you debut them. And you know who would have done really well and didn't get a chance? Scott Norton. I think he would have been a solid worker. That's not... what I'm saying. He would have been a solid carryover that would have had a great WWF career. I think he just he went back to Japan and he said, yeah. fuck it. Yeah. Know, we could go on for, for days about how to redo this. I tried in my mind after I watched this Raw to think about how this could have worked even in Atlanta or how this could have worked at all. And I just, it, it couldn't. The freakiest thing is if they got Sting. If they had Sting, or God forbid, actually be able to get Sting and Goldberg, I mean, they that's weren't, it. Well, Sting was pretty far off, but as far as, they weren't that far off from getting Goldberg and getting Ric Flair and getting Scott Steiner and getting Rey Mysterio and getting the core group of guys. That All they had to do was just be patient. Yeah. And you're not going to be paid. You got new toys. Got to play with them. Paying these guys at least twenty grand a piece. The the the, the mid carters and lower tier guys that they got. You know, a Sean Stasiak. He's not getting paid much, but yeah. uh, we got to get him in there. We got to get him in, integrated into this product. So anyway, the WCW invasion is on with the stars they signed from WCW interfering in WWF segments and matches. That's what opens the show. Linda and Shane against Vince, and the battle lines have been drawn. We're at the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. Paul Heyman and JR have the call as Jerry the King Lawler is still on his sabbatical, which would also end with the invasion angle. It's just odd timing that it all ended at Survivor Series 2001. Vince comes out first. Vince plugs the invasion pay-per-view where WCW will face off against WWF, card subject to change he means wcw ecw alliance he just doesn't know it yet (laughs) he says it won't be an invasion but an annihilation he gets cheap heat on washington state by comparing it to washington dc important decisions are made there there's nothing made here what do you do grow apples he compares Booker T to Stone Cold Steve Austin, which does Booker T no favors. <laughs> He's interrupted by Kurt Angle, who's barely hanging on to his head of hair. This man was balding at a rapid pace, and I totally forgot about this. And when he shaved his head, I was always shocked. Why'd you shave your head? You now you see why. Yes, it was going. <laughs> he compliments Vince, and then he insults Booker T. Then we watch Booker T run in at the King of the Ring, then on Raw, then on SmackDown, and then getting in a getaway car with Shane McMahon, the mastermind. Then Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out to his Disturbed theme to interrupt them as Angle was calling him a jackass. Austin threatens to put a boot up Angle's ass. 
Austin tells Angle he doesn't fit into his partnership with Vince, and here we have the love triangle that would dominate tonight. It's three men battle. <laughs> it's two men battling over the love of Vince McMahon. I wish I swear to God, I wish you were making this up, but you're not. This is the love triangle. It is. This is it's so, Rusev, Bobby oh, Lashley, and Lana. This oh my is God, the same it thing. Is. It so is. Austin delivers basically a face promo here, unfortunately. So the crowd still loves Stone Cold Steve Austin, even though he's supposed to be a heel. Vince says, Ah, oh, just beat the hell out of each other if you want to. But then Kurt just hugs Vince. And then Austin hugs Vince. And this crowd would not be treated to Austin and Angle fighting as Angle had a broken tailbone from King of the Ring and Austin was rocking two knee braces here. So both of these guys are beat the hell up so they won't be fighting tonight. Shane's music hits. Here comes the money. He compares Raw to Sesame Street. Wonderful. Tonight's show is brought to you by the letter I for Invasion. He pitches the inaugural brawl for Invasion, and he gets to book the main event on Raw, which was explained the week before, but not tonight. Vince just accepts this. WCW's Booker T will defend against Buff the Stuff Bagwell. And remember, Vince, Mom is watching with the lawyers, so if Stone Cold gets involved in the match... R-A-W will become W-C-W. This was never followed up upon uh, after tonight, either. I, so. Do you remember NWO Monday Night Nitro? Yes, I do. I would love to have had that happen. The first hour be, like, <laughs> the first hour be WCW Nitro and the second hour be Raw is War. Yeah, I think that would have been a better idea, too. If you had run promos on guys and given people to explain who they are, explain their motivations, yeah, then yes, next week in Atlanta, I think you could have said, okay, one hour for WCW and one hour for Raw. And I think that would have done extremely well. I do, too. Maybe. I think it would have done better than what they did. Anything would have done better than what they did. Jimmy Wang Yang. The APA is backstage and don't know how WCW keep breaking into WWF shows. I don't know, guys. Go stand near the doors. That's what I would say to them. Quit playing poker and stand near some doors. They suspect there's a mole in their yard. There's a mole in their heels. And they're going to find him. Guess what? They never find him. No, and the guy that I would have picked for it is completely different than the guy that they suspected. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm curious. Who is your guy, sir? Who would my guy be? Who is your guy that you would you would say? He'll show up a little bit later. Okay. Dead Man Walking. Limp Biscuit Rolling Undertaker is out with Sarah on the back of his motorcycle. Oh. He's taking on... Michelle inter- McCool is so excited to be watching this match. It's very strange. Undertaker has a type. Blonde, tall ladies. Very Very blonde. Very blonde, very tall, and very skinny. He's taking on Intercontinental Champion. I'm not joking. He's really the Intercontinental Champion. Prince Albert somehow ended up with this belt. How the hell did this happen? I don't know. He comes out to a dubbed-over X-Factor theme. No Uncle Cracker for us on the network. How dare you? This is for the belt, which why Undertaker would want this belt is beyond me. I mean... Give me a break, dude. It's the IC title. 
Albert slaps on the vicious bear hug to Undertaker. Albert hits a nice leaping big boot to Taker for a near fall. Taker choke slams Albert, calls for the last ride, but that bastard, that heel, Diamond Dallas Page, a big mistake on WWF's part to book this guy as a heel. The biggest face star probably in WCW's later years, next to Goldberg, is a heel now. He's a stalker. He's a he's a cream. pervert. Yeah. He runs in, smacks him with a chair, and gives him the diamond cutter. Page then gets shoved by Sarah, dodges a few of her punches before Undertaker's brother comes out to save Sarah and beats down DDP. What a great start here for DDP in the WWF, even going back to King of the Ring. Gets his ass kicked. Every time. Make me famous. Well, they're not doing a good job of that. They are beating the shit out of your character and your career every time you show up. What a bunch of fools. Tune in this Wednesday on AEW. (laughs) You can see DDP get his ass kicked again. Sarah kicks DDP in the balls for good measure. Welcome to the WWF, (laughs) you piece of shit. Okay, it's (laughs) side note. There actually seriously was some heat in the locker room regarding the WCW guys and girls coming in. These these wrestlers, it wasn't professional. They were really pissed. Of course, and it's led by locker room bullies like JBL, guys that were lifers in the WWF. It's it's led by that. It's it's the same reason they ran Public Enemy out the door. It's all, it's just bullshit. It's like, guys, it's over. We won. We're coworkers now. Yeah, let's get along. But no, it's we've got to fucking haze you because you're a fucking piece of shit scamp from WCW. Yes. So we we already started off on the wrong foot in the locker room. Yeah. And then it it just, then you got to try to put it on screen and make it work. And right. Yeah. A lot of help they're gonna be. Yeah. So that I I think that is a play into stuff as well as to why yeah yeah then undertaker gets some shots in too but then albert prince albert has joined wcw here apparently comes in helps out ddp for some reason what's up with that this was a very strange decision here this allows ddp to escape and for some reason, the APA did not suspect Albert for being the mole, even though he just helped the WCW guy get away. So is that who you're saying? No, that's... It's not who I'm saying. I, I but... Would, well, I mean, <laughs> he clearly just helped the guy out. But, no, I was going to say I would have picked a different... If I if they ever followed up on who their, the actual mole was, which it might have been Angle or Austin, I forget... Who it I think actually, it actually did follow up being Austin because he joined them or whatever. Remember? Yeah, I think I think you're right. Which is so stupid. made zero sense after the ending of tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we'll we'll get to my pick. Who I would have picked to actually flip, and I think it would have done him good, and I think it would have actually been one of those jumps that would have made sense and been been okay. Albert leaves, and he's such a great Intercontinental Champion, he doesn't even bother grabbing his belt on the way out. Okay, but the real story in this match is the fact that Albert got an offense against The Undertaker. He did. (laughs) That is something that does not need to be overlooked. Tori Wilson meets Howard Finkel while she's wearing a bikini. 
and she wants to meet with Vince. It's it's a it's not it's a bikini top, but she's wearing a dress, a skirt, so you know. And it must have been very cold. Uh, because her top was quite revealing. Tori Wilson, WCW's Tori Wilson, doesn't give a shit about WCW. She's ready to join the WWF. She wants to meet with Vince, and Fink says, oh, he's over there. Go go get it. He constantly shook her hand the whole time. He did the awkwardly long handshake, where it's like, when are you going to let go of my hand? But he didn't perv out, so I do give them some credit for keeping keeping Fink's pants on. They would leave all the perving to Vince. He said, I'll take the perving from here, boys. Crash Holly is out with Jacqueline, and he's going to take on his cousin Molly Holly back when intergender wrestling wasn't frowned upon in the WWF. Uh, Molly Holly being accompanied by Spike Dudley. Molly, Hurricane Rana's crash, drop kicks him for a near fall. Crash pulls her down by the hair. Jackie runs Molly out of the ring. Then Crash nearly necks himself on the bottom rope. It was scary. Uh, this was worse than the Enzo uh, snap and neck incident, except Crash didn't go unconscious from it. He gets up, though, and he suplexes Molly. Spike distracts the ref. Jackie puts Molly on the corner. Molly go around, and Molly beats Crash after Jackie slapped him. We have some dissension between Crash Holly and Jacqueline, and Molly Holly gets the win after the bell. Jackie DDT's Crash for good measure, so Crash Holly, your once prestigious hardcore 24-7 champion, is now going to be losing to the entire women's roster. I truly believe that Crash Holly needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Don't think so. I enjoyed him. I, I I loved every match he was ever a part of. This might be our Scott Putsky award winner on the night though, dude, because this man for his size, he was pretty jacked. This guy had some mass on him. And this was a show that featured some other jacked. Uh, yeah, jacked dudes. Oh, hi Deborah. Where did you come from? Deborah suddenly is in this show sitting next to her soon-to-be ex-husband Austin. Since she wasn't in the main event at X7, yes, just... that was yeah, they just <laughs> totally dropped. They totally ignored from history that she was going to be managing The Rock and then just And then miraculously The Rock just disappeared as well and nobody knows where the fuck he went. Got to film the Scorpion King sometime, brother. Deborah, Austin, Vince, and Angle are backstage talking strategy against WCW, and then Tori comes into the office, and everyone says hi to her. Vince and Austin both want to have Tori to themselves, but Vince says, oh, let's go into a different room, uh, talk privately. Then we see that O'Hare and Palumbo invaded on SmackDown and beat up the Dudleys and Hardys and then ran away until the rest of the WWF once again beat the shit out of them. So another example of the WWF making the WCW just look great here as they beat the shit out of O'Hare and Palumbo and put them through tables. Welcome to the WWF, fellas. Then we cut to Christian marveling at Edge's King of the Ring Stanley Cup trophy. And tonight, Christian gets to win the light heavyweight belt so they they can both be champions. That is a beautiful King of the Ring trophy. I wish they'd have kept it. It was cool, yes. It was was a one-off. It was. Which sucks, because it was a beautiful trophy. Well, this was when King of the Ring still meant a little something. I mean, it had gone down a little bit. But now, I mean, now we have King Baron Corbin. So that's how far King of the Ring has fallen. Guess who won King of the Ring after Edge? 
I'm going to say Lesnar. It was Lesnar. Yeah, because Lesnar, that got him the shot at SummerSlam. It was Lesnar and RVD in the finals. Another bad decision. (laughs) Tajiri is with William Regal, as Tajiri was Regal's assistant, basically, at this time. Regal warns him about the worm in his match coming up against Scotty Tuhati, who's returning from an ankle injury. Ladies, you got to worry and watch out for that worm. The Dudleys barge in. The real Dudleys, not Spike. <laughs> and they wonder why they're in a match against Chris Jericho, which, why do they wonder this? It's a handicap match. Easy nights work. They'll put him away in seconds. Regal says it's because Jericho was thought to be a defector had he won the WWF title at King of the Ring, which, yes, that was a storyline going into King of the Ring. It was the three-way for the title. Benoit Jericho against Austin. The announcers throughout that match kept saying, oh, if Benoit or Jericho win the belt, they might defect back to WCW, which also makes zero sense since those two guys left the sinking ship. Thurman Sparky Plug tells the APA he's not the stooge in the WWF camp because he was he was at the door the whole time. You guys saw me. I wasn't the stooge. Tori is now with Vince McMahon in the showers, of course, where you have all meetings. And she really wants to be a WWF superstar. Vince pervs on her. <laughs> how bad? How badly do you want to be a WWF superstar? When all of a sudden Austin slings open the shower door, interrupts, <laughs> and Vince says, oh, "We'll have to find a more private place to have a chat." And they leave as. Austin was not going to let his love, Vince McMahon, cheat on him with Tori. <laughs> Scotty Too Hotty comes out. Raw is brought to you by Stacker 2, PlayStation 2, and the Gigatube by JVC. So Stacker 2, your number one fat burner. And might cause a heart attack. We're not sure. Might. William Regal escorts out to Jerry. Light ECW chance here for Tajiri, the Japanese buzzsaw. Tajiri blasts, blasts Scotty with a kick to the jaw and then a chop before putting him in the tarantula, which you can't win with because it's in the ropes. And this is WWF. ECW chance get big for the tarantula. Then Scotty Tuhati hits a sit-out powerbomb that slows Tajiri down. A slap battle before Scotty super kicks Tajiri out of the ring, follows it up with a baseball slide, goes for the worm, which the crowd goes apeshit for. When we talk about doing the most with the least, the worm was is one of those Dude, things. Yeah. Like this is this is a Dusty Rhodes move here. Just whatever gets the crowd to pop. Like this is minimal effort. No one will get hurt, and they fucking love it. Every single letter he jumps to was W-O-R-M. So he goes for the worm, but Regal distracts the ref, and Tajiri hits him with that damn green mist. Which was really cool, by the way, because he's laying on his back, and as Scotty's going down to finish off you know, with the chop, he catches it as he's falling. It was actually, timing was very well done. But that's not good enough. He kicks him in the head and pins him for the win. And the ref didn't notice all the green paint in the face. You guys just can't... Are you guys colorblind? Well, I mean, I'm not, but they are. Oh, okay. I'm that good. They're idiots, not me. Vince has now taken Tori to a more sexy place, the mop closet. Oh. But this time, his other love, Kurt Angle, interrupts. And Vince just mean mugs the shit out of Kurt and then walks off with Tori. 
Then we see the Booker T promo that you talked about earlier. Booker T at a Pepsi machine. Now, this wouldn't be so bad if it didn't say to me, Booker T doesn't know how to work a Pepsi machine because he puts the dollar in, it, it spits, spits it out, and he's sitting there trying to figure out which way to turn it to stick it in. Yes, so the WCW guys are so dumb, they can't work a fucking Pepsi machine. <laughs> And then Tess walks in, and he just shakes hands with Tess, and uh, then... Hey, Tess. How you doing, man? Booker T. Hey, man. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Hey, man, Shane's told me a lot about you, man. Question. Think you might ever come to WCW? <laughs> that depends. Depends on what? Well, Booker, you never know. Could be me one day instead of Buff facing you for that. Just depends on the competition, but more importantly, the money. Good luck tonight, man. Gets a dollar to go in the Pepsi machine. So this sets up our probable mole because Tess just happened to walk by a Pepsi machine and just not beat the shit out of Booker T as soon as he saw him. He was supposed to just decimate this man. Who knows in the future it could be Booker T versus Tess for the WCW title. The Dudleys are out next, the real Dudleys. They're the tag team champions, and they're taking on Jericho in a handicap match. Chris Jericho. Oh, my goodness. 2019 Chris Jericho versus 2001 Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho from 2001 was ripped out of his mind. <laughs> it doesn't even look like the same person. No, you couldn't doesn't. tell me this was the same person. Uh, outside of the face, I mean, this, this dude was uh, taking his stack or two. The Dudleys just beat him down in the corner. They give him the was up. Earl Hebner finally gets Bubba out of the ring. We want tables chance immediately. Bulldog to Devon. Jericho tosses Bubba off the buckle. Drop kicks him off the apron. Walls of Jericho to Devon, but Bubba pulls Earl Hebner out of the ring, which didn't get a DQ for some reason. In a rare move, Bubba got the table. But then Spike Dudley comes out, helps Jericho, acid drop to Bubba, onto Devon, lion salt to Devon. Earl gets rolled in by Spike. Again, doesn't question this. One, two, three, Jericho beats WWF Tag Team Champions on an episode of Raw. So in WCW booking, they would have just beat the fuck out of Jericho, pinned him, and moved on. But uh, this is WWF where a face can beat the Tag Team Champions all by himself. So all these matches were very, very short, which is something that still happens in Raw to this day. But at least they were entertaining. They had some degree of entertainment to them, even if... Even if they had bullshit thrown in, yeah. there was something to them. Uh, there, you saw finishers. You saw a table. You saw, you saw them hit all the high notes, and then they got out. Why can't we do that today? I don't know. Uh, but these matches didn't bother me that they were short, nothing matches. They were they were fine. Yeah. Now Vince took Tori to a more romantic place, the bathroom, of course, and they kiss. But then Tori complains about the cologne that Vince is wearing, and Vince, I don't have any cologne on. And then you hear the toilet flush, and Perry Saturn comes out with Moppy. Which, why wasn't he in the mop closet? I don't know. (laughs) I was Uh, wondering that, too. This is a very strange (laughs) twist. I guess Kurt Angle said, no, I will not walk out of the shitter. Uh, I guess this was a, a creative difference here. That would have been awesome, though. So, yeah. So, this time, they are broken up by Perry Saturn and Moppy. Whatever happened to Moppy? Moppy was traded in for Terry Runnels, and then 
he got fired. And that was pretty much it. No more Moppy. Yes. In an eerie flashback, we get a Chris Benoit surgery update oh. after he broke his neck at King of the Ring, where you see him talking to the doctors with his wife that he murdered sitting beside him, and the doctor saying, oh yeah, he can get back to doing what he's doing, but dude, when you break your neck to the degree this guy's talking about, that's your career. That's it. It's time to hang up, hang up the tights, pal. But you can't keep wrestlers out of the ring, and... Nothing was going to stop Chris Benoit from getting back into the ring, even though this should have been it. I'll include the clip here, but, I mean, they're talking about... I mean, This is the famous clip from the Don't Try This at Home where they yeah. fractured into my spinal column. That does not sound like something you just say, oh, okay, I'll see you in six months. I'll be back to work. Yeah, no, the doctor shows him, but then at the end of the thing, he's like, yeah, he can get back to doing what he does. In a year. Yeah. That's just craziness to me. Yeah. I'm sure the doctor's great. I'm sure this was taken out of context. I'm sure the doctor meant he can get back to just walking around, you know, not having a neck brace on. I'm sure it wasn't meant to be like, yeah, you can go do some TLC matches. You can do some flying headbutts. You can do some Hell in a Cell matches. Go for it. It's good for a broken neck. Christian is out with Edge to battle for the light heavyweight belt. He's taking on X-Pac, who is the light heavyweight champion. He you got- know it's the X-Factor. It is the X-Factor, but his theme got dubbed over, just like Albert's did. And this was in the X-Pac Heat era, where X-Pac sucks chance just broke out as soon as they saw this guy. Power slam for a near fall from Christian. Bronco Buster countered with a heel kick. Just Incredible, who came out with X-Pac, gets taken down by Edge, which causes Credible to go get the belt. And he wants to belt shot Christian, but Edge stops him. But the belt gets left in the ring. X-Pac hits Christian with it and gets the win to a chorus of boos from this crowd who fucking hated X-Pac. And I think by this time I did too, so I don't blame them. <laughs> the APA asks a ref, hey, where's Test at? The ref says, uh, he was chatting with Booker T, which how did the ref know this? He passed him. Oh, he did? Yeah. Wow, you paid a lot closer attention than I did. I swear I didn't see anybody else near the Pepsi machine. No, he was way far off down the hallway. And I do mean way down the hallway, but you see him walk by. They paid attention. It was very, very well done. Meanwhile, Taz, the human suplex machine, is at WWF New York eating celery. (laughs) That's how they used Taz. In 2001, the badass, the, the, the flagship wrestler of ECW is at WWF New York chowing down on celery and signing autographs. The fan comes up and asks for an autograph, and he looks so pissed to have to fucking put that celery stick down, grab a pen, and sign that dude's 8x10. Well, he's pissed off because Stone Cold Steve Austin beat up Michael Cole. That, what a feud that would have been. Uh, Cole versus Austin. Oh, what a what a brawl they would have had. So Austin just beat the shit out of Taz. So, um, yeah, great. Uh, announcer feuds are always the bottom of the barrel for me, really. Rhino is out to take on Test. Mike Awesome stole the hardcore belt from Rhino at Madison Square Garden when he snuck in and got a pinfall. He wouldn't last very long in this company. I don't remember how they got the belt off of him, but Mike Awesome did not make it to the Invasion pay-per-view. The WWF locker room geeks come out to watch this match on the ramp as they're ready to beat the shit out of Test. They surround the ring. Test lands a big boot to Rhino. 
Bradshaw then clotheslines Tess behind the ref's back, and then he gets gored. Rhino wins, and then the WWF geeks, the job squad, beat down Tess. They've taken out the mole, or so they think. Up next, Matt Hardy and Lita will team up to take on Big Show and Trish. WWF Invasion presented by PlayStation, not PlayStation 2 for some reason. This is who I would have had jump from WWF to WCW. This should have been the mole, the big show. And the reason I say that... Wow, okay. The reason I say that is because he has some justification. He was a WCW champion. He aligned with Vince. Vince has turned his back on him. He is now aligned with Austin and Angle. Big Show has not been pushed. He was in a hardcore title match at WrestleMania. He's been largely forgotten about. He's been a goof, uh, a laughable character. In WCW, he was the giant. And I think that had he been the first one to jump and cut a shoot-worked promo where he talks about... I'm not the big show. I'm the giant. I'm, I was doing drop kicks off the top turnbuckle. I was amazing. I was the youngest ever WCW champion, and this company treats me like garbage. I think that would have been awesome. I think it would have given him motivation to get healthier. Yeah, I think it would have put him in a great spotlight as far as if you're not going to sign the big names at least you give them the tallest athlete in the world you give them muscle you give them yeah. something and then you and that's credibility itself and you turn him from a joke instantly into hey I'm not the guy you think I am well you can see but you also like you were saying showing the videos the the little clips you can show him with with NWO. It's just the original Hall, Nash, Hogan, and him. And yeah, and for those guys that they didn't sign that they weren't going to get for a couple years, like Hogan and Nash and Hall, you can show he beat every single one of them in WCW. Yep. He beat Hogan for the belt. Yep. Uh, I mean, he definitely beat Nash. He definitely beat Hall. I mean, early on in his career in WCW, he had a very good run. God, and he had a great WCW career. Yeah, for for a very green wrestler. Yes, and so did Goldberg, but that's another story. Yeah, and so that's who I would have if I'm going to shift somebody I over. Agree. I think it would have been awesome to, and I think it would have kept him healthier to give. I mean, I don't know that for sure. I mean, he can still be a slob. I I don't know, but. I think it would have been something. I think it would have been uh, pretty interesting. So, as I mentioned, Matt Hardy and Lita are teaming up to take on Big Show and Trish for some reason. Big Show does a press slam to Hardy, and Trish comes in to face Lita. Lita tries to hurricane run on Big Show, but he catches her and gets drop kicked by Matt. Then Big Show trips Lita and takes out both Hardys. Trish lands her bulldog for a two count. She tries it again, but gets stuck in the tree of woe. Big Show tries a double choke slam to Lita and Matt. But it gets turned into a double DDT that Big Show takes on his knee. Oh. Lita hits an ugly twist of fate on Trish, who dropped too early for it. Then she hits her moonsault, and Team Extreme get the win. Big Show then fusses at Trish, and Jeff saves the day. Oh, what a guy, what a guy. Hits Big Show with a missile drop kick, so they're setting up some sort of love angle with Trish and Jeff Hardy that... Never went anywhere. Vince is now with Tori at an exit to the arena and says, hey, maybe later we can consummate our deal. But Tori has an idea, and Vince says, oh, yeah, Tori. 
Oh, yeah. Shane runs in to buff the stuff and wishes him luck. Buff says he doesn't rely on luck. He relies on skill. And Shane says, like I said, good luck to you. <laughs> hey, man. How you doing? Historic night? Very historic. Good luck to you. What? Good luck to you. <laughs> I don't rely on luck, big man. I rely on skill. That's why I'm buff and I'm the stuff. And that's why for tonight, you, my friend, are going to have a new WCW champion. Do you got it? Get it. Like I said, good luck to you. Yeah. And this is our introduction and our goodbye to Buff Bagwell on the microphone in WWF. Well, and our goodbye to Buff and, uh, well, what would you say, another week? Yes. If that. They brought him to Phillips Arena the next week to fire him. Yes, he was... Because he lives in he lives in Woodstock, Georgia, so he lives nearby. So yes, he drove to the arena and got fired at the arena. He well, he called out sick. Well, this is disputed. Um, the story is it's a case of it's a case of credibility, and Jr. has some credibility, and Buff Bagwell has very little. So you tend to believe Jim Ross when the story is told, but Buff does not does not say that's the reason that he got fired. He blames it on a fight he got into with Shane Helms at Tracks, and that they just didn't like him. And and this match tonight as part of the reason. But, of course, on that Legends Roundtable, and Buff is still pissed about this to this day, that Jim Ross told the story of Judy Bagwell calling in sick for Buff for a couple of house shows in between this Raw and the Phillips Arena show. My son is sick. The thing is, though, about JR, and I give JR a lot of credit. I, I find him to be very credible, but when he has to be an attack dog for the company, he will be an attack dog. That is true. Because when Austin walked out, he went on there on Confidential and on Raw. And called him out. And buried him. Yeah. And even though, this, even though he agreed with Austin, and Austin was his friend, when he is called upon, and even... Going back to Livewire and stuff like that, and and people called him and asked him about WCW stars, he will tow the company line. He will throw you under the bus. So if if they're doing a Legends Roundtable and it's called Heat Seekers and they're looking for gossip and they say, one of the guys is going to be Buff Bagwell, give us something, he might do it. That's true. So I'll include clips of both JR and Buff at the end of the podcast, and you can decide who, who said what. The APA is proud. They got the mole. They got him. But then Sergeant Slaughter, who was also in the news this week, turns out he was never a Marine, comes in and says he found the mole. Turns out he was never a Marine. Yes. He never said he was. Apparently he had claimed for years that he was an actual drill sergeant. That's a character. It's not him in real life. Please tell me somebody didn't actually... Are you serious? I think he said that before. I think as a I'm, character. No, not even as a character. I thought he said that in shoot before. I thought no. Okay, just checking. Wait, so wait, no, but I'll, you're missing the point here. Somebody actually accused Sergeant Slaughter of lying about, of lying his, military. about his military background. This man, 
<laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, the next thing I'm going to tell you is The Undertaker is not actually an undead Undertaker zombie from the Wild West. Holy shit. I hate to burst your bubble. Damn. No, I, I, look, I, <laughs> no, I wasn't offended by it. I didn't find it shocking, but I, I do believe at certain points of his career, I'm sure... When they were trying to keep up kayfabe, I'm sure he probably said in interviews, yeah, drill sergeant, whatever. That was before the stolen valor was such a thing. And then, you know, people were worried about people lying about their military credentials. So (laughs) him not being a Marine was like in the Baltimore paper in like 1994 or something. (laughs) But it resurfaced this week for some reason on on one of the wrestling news sites. Oh, shit. That's funny. And so they actually, but did he actually catch shit for it? People actually, if it, no, no, oh, okay. yeah, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like the CM Punk story where it's oh. just something that was on the internet, and I don't follow internet trash. If you can't tell, fans, but okay, this is it. Well, our podcast is internet trash, so. No, our podcast is not trash. It is royalty. I just I was about to say if people gave him a hard fucking time for his gimmick, then. That is, he also didn't join Iraq as a that is g- true. general for that Saddam is, Hussein. That is fucking true wrestling heat right there. <laughs> that shit is... I would do that in a split second. What's that? The same damn thing. What, claim that you were uh, in the military? Yes. I would be the drill sergeant and all this shit for years, knowing full damn well that I'm not. Say that I was... Just to piss people off. That's a great heel move. Well, then he's back to being Colonel Mustafa or whatever Would you, he was. Do you not agree? You, you can't do it now, but back then. Why can't you do it now? Because like I said, stolen valor thing. People people are very touchy about the troops. I mean... No, I get that. Uh, so so any so anytime it's mainly though when you use it to like get a military discount at like Denny's. It's, exactly. it's not like a wrestling character. It's like saying John Cena turns out he's not really a Marine. Yeah, well cuz he's playing a character on <laughs> exactly, TV. Exactly. So. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. So Sergeant Slaughter says Tess was with him at his post. I guess his military post. I don't know. I don't know where Sergeant Slaughter's posted throughout the night. What exactly <laughs> is he were, doing? He was at his post, and we were talking about Madison Square Garden, me and Pat Patterson in 1984. Yeah, I'm sure Tess really loved that conversation. <laughs> so he can't be the mole. And APA and uh, Ron Simmons are just like, damn. Well, Damn. But they don't go and apologize to him. They just no. They just beat the shit out of this dude for no fucking reason. Nope. They just uh, oh, well that's too bad. <laughs> we'll try and find him next week maybe. <laughs> Jim Ross says he's about to turn the show over to WCW, which is weird because he used to be a part of WCW. So the funny he could have been the mole. The funniest thing though, it's not Vince or it's not Jim that's pissed off. It's not Jim Ross is pissed off that he's having to do it. It's fucking Paul Heyman that is pissed off and slams his headset down that he's having to get up from the table. Well, Heyman hated WCW <laughs> in shoot, and he was probably also uh, very upset because the rights to the ECW logo and stuff were still in limbo. Like, that's why the Alliance, 
they used like the ECW logo and stuff at that pay per view, but then later on they just had to call them the Alliance, is because there was something had to be settled in court before you could use it. Because I'm sure Heyman was sitting there saying, "Fuck, this could have been my guys. This this could have been us. We could have been." the invading force originally in hindsight i'm sure he's like i dodged a fucking bullet there because (laughs) in 2005 we fucking blew it out of the park with with uh one night stand and everything and and had they been the original invasion i don't know if it would have turned out as well i mean i know they can now you would have had wcw one night stand Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Glacier versus well, no, Glacier versus. <laughs> you almost said it. It would have been Glacier versus uh, Ernest Miller. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of guys that would have been. Yeah, would have been alive in 2005 that would have done it. The cat. No, I was thinking of. Uh, Kenyon was alive in 2005, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Brian Clark Wrath. Wrath. Gla- Glacier yes. versus Wrath. So JR and Heyman leave for the night. And then it's time to start WCW one last time. All right. Playing the role of Lillian Garcia will be Stacy Keebler, the owner and operator of WCW comes to the ring, Shane McMahon, as he announces that this now is WCW Nitro. Well, he he know it's it's just WCW. He introduces Stacy Keebler being led hand in hand with your two announcers for this evening. Not Tony Schiavone. Not Tony Schiavone. No, not Mike no, Tanay. No, not Mike Tanay. My good friend Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson. <laughs> Double A, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. A very strange two picks of of all the picks they could have had from I uh, here's the bad part I understand Scott Hudson I like Scott Hudson I He's like fine. Scott Scott's great on commentary Where the fuck did they find Arn Anderson for this Cuz he was already back there I guess I mean It's like hey we don't have another announced person here you go It made zero sense I don't sense. understand why Shane didn't I mean Shane had experience See, at announcing See I agree Shane and Scott would have been great S- Scott Hudson and Shane would have been awesome because Cuz you need a color guy Arn fucking sucked it out literally stunk it up It is terrible. And I had zero experience at this. Zero. And this is why you don't see Arn Anderson at a commentary table at all. This is a one and done, and here's why. I don't know who called that SmackDown match, but he might have called it, so you might have seen him twice uh, do this. God, it was. It's bad. Knowing how it ended between Tony and. The WWF back in the day, I guess they they weren't going to go down that avenue again. But had they gotten Mike Tanay and Scott Hudson, I think they would have. That would have been huge. Because Tanay and Hudson, even even for Thunder and stuff, that was a great team. Yeah, well, and at least you have somebody that's knowledgeable that can give you some background and fill. Yeah. Like Mike Tanay is great at painting a picture of who these guys are and stuff. Where Arn. That's just not Arn's thing. Arn is not a commentator. Why did they never get Mike Tanay? I'm curious. Why? Because, God, he was he's he was great in TNA. He is the Jim Ross of wrestling history. He will bring up this man knows shit about wrestlers in their past than I would ever dare to know. I mean, he knows so much more. 
and does his research, he's a great asset to a wrestling company. I didn't understand why they wouldn't have got him. They never got him. Maybe he was still under contract with Time Warner and just didn't want to give up the payday. And then until, and then when TNA launched, he just went in. It's a much easier schedule working for TNA, so maybe that was something that appealed to him. But yeah, I am curious as to know why he's never even appeared on like the Monday Night War documentary or no. anything where they could bring him in. Now that he's retired, basically, they could bring him in and talk to him about anything because he knows about everything. Yeah. So yeah, he's a he's a great historian and a great mindset that I don't think they've ever. I don't understand why they've never utilized. I guess is the best way to put it. Yes, I, I don't know why the, the choice was made for Arn and to make Shane leave. I really thought that was <laughs> Yeah, weird. this is fucked up because as they are setting up to do the entrances... Shane has the rights to the main event. He's gotten to pick his ring announcer. He's gotten to pick his commentators. And he's gotten to pick his referee, who is fucking Nick Patrick. Of course it would be Nick Patrick. <laughs> Why? This is the most WCW move they ever made. Uh, because when Stacey introduces Nick Patrick, that's the first booze of the night, really, uh, for this WCW. I want to heal Nick back. Yeah. I want an NWO. This should Nick have been Patrick. Charles Robinson. Fuck Nick Patrick. <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. I just do not like you. But yeah, despite having the rights to this main event and saying to Vince, hey, we'll sue your ass if something happens here, William Regal gets to come out and interrupt. <laughs> And then he says, hey, Shane, you can't be here. You're leaving now. To which, if I was Shane, I would have been like, fuck you. No, you're leaving. It's but my no. show. Shane just said, okay. I don't have to make it about me like Vince does. Yeah. Shane says, nothing is ruining my night. WCW will always be about the WCW superstars, not about the owner. First of all, WCW had wrestlers, not superstars. That's yes, yeah. Just want to kind of WWF jargon. I'll slide that in there. Arn channeling his inner Tony Schiavone says, "This is bigger than the moon landing." Oh, WCW on Raw, and then Scott Hudson in his first tease before the commercial break botches his first tease as he says that Buff Bagwell is set to go for the WWF Championship belt. So, If you're affiliated with wrestling, I don't care if you're just a casual fan, this is bigger than D-Day, it's bigger than a moon landing, this is, this is it, and I am tickled to death to be part of it. An historic night in sports entertainment, WCW headlining a WWF televised event, look at the smug look on the face of Commissioner Regal, I guess he, he may not know, history is in the making next, Bob Bagwell goes for the WWF Championship against Booker T. History is made. Next. That's that's probably all Vince needed to hear to say, nope, fuck it, you're gone. The champ, Booker T, comes out first. By the way, they've changed the ring mats to WCW ring mats. We've got WCW logo lights. We've got WCW lower thirds with their new logo, not the logo you're familiar with or anything. Nope, it's the WWF WCW logo. And they also darkened the crowd for some reason, 
which I'm sure made them happy, too. A good way to start the match. We'll turn off the lights for you guys. <laughs> the champ comes out first, and he's a dual champion, Booker T. Left his U.S. belt at home, I guess. Just brings out Big Goldie. Then... Buff Bagwell's music hits, and infamously, he talks about this on all his shoot interviews. So as Shane was walking back through Gorilla, he looks at Buff and he says, Hey man, you can't look at the camera when you walk out there. And Buff, already nervous as shit, because this is his... This is his chance. Yes. And his gimmick is staring into the camera and pointing at himself and talking about how great he is. Shane says... Now you can't look at the camera. So on his way down to the ring, he'll point this out that he never looks at the camera. He gets his pyro, he does his pose, but he tries to avoid that camera all the way down to the ring because Shane freaked him the fuck out coming down to the ring. Which really, if you think about it, most of the WWF guys don't look at the camera. Cena is the only one that turns and looks at the camera and does the point. Rock's done it a time or two, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, the rest of them no, they act like they're they're not there. There's not a camera in front of them, so I I can believe that. Yeah, I believe that's one part of his story I absolutely believe. And you can tell he is extremely nervous about this. And he had every right to be <laughs> buff especially with what was about to happen at the end. Buff attacks Booker before the bell can even ring. A double arm DDT gets a two count. The crowd immediately turns on this match booze. Booker tries a sidekick, but Bagwell runs into his thigh, so he botches the sidekick. Boring chance from the audience. The crowd is distracted because there was a fight in the stand, so no one's looking at the match. So Bagwell, in his debut match, works a chin lock, which gets more booze. This match sucks chance start raining down from the crowd. A drop kick from Booker that Bagwell drops too early for gets booze. Yeah. An axe kick, a spin-a-rooney, and then they put an end to this uh, very brief charade. And Austin and Kurt run in and beat down Booker T. Bagwell then helps Austin and Angle beat down Booker T. So Buff Bagwell has joined Team WWF. They brawl to the back but get interrupted as Vince is in the laundry room with Tori. We get interrupted because... No time to show you this brawl. They brawl to the back, but we get interrupted because we cut to Vince in the laundry room with Tori. Tori strips Mr. McMahon down and has him close his eyes. And surprise, surprise, she swerved him. Linda was in the laundry room. McMahon stumbles around with his pants around his ankles, kicks the dryer, and stumbles into some conveniently placed cardboard boxes. Meanwhile, we cut back to Austin, Buff Bagwell, and Angle continuing beating down the WCW champion, the alleged equal to Stone Cold Steve Austin, gets his ass kicked. Handed to him on a silver platter. All the way out, right out of the fucking Tacoma Dome. They toss him. Then Buff... Did you see that? We all kicked his ass. That was great, man. And then they haul off and start beating the shit out of Buff Bagwell. Yeah, he even, like, he, like, shoved, like, Angle in the chest. Like, yeah, man, like, fire up kind of thing. And they beat the shit out of him and toss him out of the door as well. And the show ends. (laughs) They toss him out of the door and the WWF, coincidentally, in that that one single shot. So, (laughs) wow. Just, uh... Don't know what to say about it, really. Uh, it's. I think the one thing at least you could have done 
is if you'd brought DDP in as a face, you could have had him in this match. Because him, him and Booker T, I think, would have been a great match. And he's a star. And if yeah. he was a baby face and he came out to self-high-five and all that stuff, I think the crowd would have liked it. Yeah. Because next to Goldberg, he's really the only star and Sting. Those three guys, those are the guys WCW built. Yeah. But no. Instead of that, you went with Buff Bagwell, who was a mid-card, upper-tier mid-card guy, but not a not a main eventer. No. And even then, it was just... It, it couldn't work. There's no way. I've thought about it all two weeks since we talked about doing this show. I, there's no way this could have worked. Even in Atlanta, if it was presented the same way, this would not have worked, and it didn't. And it should be no surprise to anybody because they didn't give these guys any time to build their character. They didn't give any thought to this. There just wasn't any thought put into this. And it shows. And it really sucked for Buff Bagwell, who got fired the very next week. And it really sucked for the rest of any any WCW guy that was contemplating, maybe uh, maybe I'll cut my contract and go. Maybe there's something here. They they saw this show and said, "Eh, I think I'll stay at home. I'll keep my money. I don't understand why they fired Buff because Buff is a solid worker. Buff is a good talent, but I don't understand why they didn't see something in Buff. If we're not, if we're not going with what Jim Ross has always said, well, there's, if we're there, going off of what, there's two versions of events. It was attitude problems and a fight with Sugar Shane Helms in the in tracks when they were trying to retrain these guys, and then there's also the the Judy Bagwell story. But they also, when they when they fired him, they told him, you're released, according to Buff. They said, you're released, and we can bring you back in three months. They said, you're not fired, you're released. And so Buff was under the impression there was still hope he could come back. People like Buff and Booker that took the WWF money, their contracts with Turner were almost up anyway. So they really didn't have a choice in the matter. If they didn't sign with WWF, they would have been out of work. Yeah. So... Just like Mike Austin, both of those guys, attitude problems, I guess, heat probably from backstage. The one thing I the one thing I will say about Buff though is that he hadn't been in the WWF before. This was at least something someone new. Yeah. Who was an established star to some degree. Yeah. And he had a bad match. They both Booker and him both had a really bad match with really bad commentary in a really they had they were put in a spot where they couldn't succeed. Even if they had a five-star classic, they couldn't succeed where they were placed because there's just so much wrong with it. And it's yeah. just it's it's the strangest raw main event I think ever. And and probably will ever be. Yeah, because this is the kind of stuff that usually doesn't make it to air. You know, you usually when you have a concept and an idea in mind, you would try it out beforehand. But this was taken to air live on your flagship show, yeah, and failed spectacularly. And had in, they in shitty fashion too. <laughs> and had they waited another week, maybe it would have done better. But I still think there was more work to be done than just a change of city. I think. Why no Glacier? Why no Scott Norton or Ernest Miller or any of those guys? Why? I mean, Norman Smiley. Those mid-card guys, or maybe they did, and I don't realize it. I think... Did everyone have guaranteed contracts? I mean, I was under the assumption that there was only a few that 
had to stick to the guarantee contract process. Somebody like a Norman Smiley or Hugh Morris or a Gl- well, Hugh Morris was signed. Hugh Morris was part of the invasion. But I'm saying, like, yeah, there were certain guys. Glacier, that- Ernest Miller. I wouldn't have figured those guys had. Miller came in later, but yeah, oh, he did come in. Yeah, he had a very brief run in the WWF. He was a commentator on like Velocity and had a couple matches. And oh, I didn't, I did not. Somebody know better call my mama. That was originally his song. It was recycled for uh, Brodus Clay. Yeah. So he he did come in. I don't think he came in in two thousand one though. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was very brief. There were some guys they weren't going to do business with. Probably mainly Luger and Jarrett. Um, <laughs> Shane Douglas. Hey, that's what I was about to say. Or Shane Douglas. I'm trying to think of some other. Yeah, Dustin Rhodes. They're not gonna even if he. They definitely. He probably had a guaranteed contract. Like everybody probably had guaranteed money, but there were some guys they just were not gonna do business with, which they they changed their mind on just about all of them eventually. But right at the start, they were like, "Nah, no, I can't do that." But like I said, had you given this some time? Before you actually did something like this, I think you needed to give it some time, bring Bischoff in, bring a couple more stars in, and have Big Show jump ship, maybe. And do it right. Do it the right way. I mean, this was obviously not the right way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. So on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, the WCW main event Raw episode from Tacoma, Washington in 2001. You know where I'm going. I'm giving it a I'm giving it a Marcus Alexander buff the stuff Bagwell. I'm gonna give it a crash Holly because it was a crash. <laughs> WCW crashed and burned and cost Buff Bagwell, Scott Hudson, and Mike Awesome. Those three guys were were done. One of our fans reached out to us on Facebook and made a request, so I'll use it as my pick this week. We've already done a review for Nick. We did battle at the Royal Albert Hall, but he's requesting March to WrestleMania 9. That's under Hidden Gems, under In Ring on the WWE Network. The March to WrestleMania 9. What a great WrestleMania to march to. Please let this be under two hours, and I will forgive him. The March... (laughs) to Wrestlemania 9 which might be a pun because I think Wrestlemania 9 happened in March so it is a pun I dread what we're about to witness on March and it's under hidden gems so they do still have the hidden gems the section is still there they're just not gonna do anymore alright Patrick well that'll do it for this week you can always go to powerslam.tv use the promo code retro wrestling and get a month for free But until then, until we meet again, I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. What you do? I I had uh, not. I'd heard heard these stories about Buff Bagwell, right? He's on everybody's list. So I'm sitting in my office over there in the ivory tower over there at Titan Tower. That's the place for people when they get bad weather, they leave and go home. The people at TV stay and work. It was over there on the ivory tower, and I got South my, tower. I got my fourth floor uh, office up there, big shot, you know. That's a round wheel. I was a big wheel. My dad, I told my dad when I was eight years old, I wanted to be a wheel. He said, "You know what that is, don't you?" And I said, "What's that?" He said, "A wheel's a round thing 
that a dog pisses on. <laughs> so I found out that I was a wheel over there at uh, the tower, and I'm on the, the phone rings one day, and it's Judy Bagwell. <laughs> That's Buff's mother. Yeah. Well, Buff is booked this weekend, but he can't Former come. Tag team champions. He can't come to work. I that said, was what? right after he started here, right? Yeah, right after. He'd been here for two or three weeks. I said, "Why is that?" He his said, "Well, his mother called. His and mother said called he for come him. To work. Yeah, it was like mommy a, called. It's like I'm the PE teacher of the ninth grade, and the mom calls says, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Buff can't work out because he's got, you know, the measles.' I said, well, "What's wrong with him?" And I said, "She told me some injury that happened in our ring, and you know, he's in tough shape, but he's going to make it. He'll be there at TV Monday." So, <laughs> he's going to miss all weekend's bookings. And I said, all right, well, we'll replace him. I said, that'll be easy to do. Uh, and I said, and I also would like to remind you, Mrs. Bagwell, that uh, if you ever want to call here again and speak with me, I'll be happy to speak with you about anything in the world but your son. Because this is the last conversation that you and I will ever have about your boy. Because he's a man. And he should be calling me, not you. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. I'll see you Monday. Click. I saw him Monday. I said, your mother would never call me again unless she wants to say happy birthday or Merry <laughs> Christmas or happy Hanukkah or whatever the hell it may be. I don't care. Well, let, let's start with who uh, got Buff Bagwell in the business. Drum roll, please. Missy Hyatt. Missy Hyatt. Ooh. I am 100% convinced, whether I'm right or wrong, that Jim Ross ruined my career. And how that came down, unfortunately, is there's only three witnesses. And it's Jim, God, and me. But I was sitting home one day, and what had happened was we were down at wrestling school at WWE, WWF at the time. And we were learning the ring ropes and all that, the 20-foot ring and all that stuff. And we got, and I got an argument with Shane Helms, and I ended up slapping him. And after I slapped him, and I turned around to walk off, he hits me with an ice bottle that was frozen that opened up my head 20 stitches deep. Mm. And um, they, all the wrestlers, keep in mind, at that stage, there were 12 WCW guys hired. And at the 12 being hired, you know, everybody back then thought, you know, thought for sure Buff Bagwell's got a job. He's got a job. He's, you know, we're just trying to make it. He's got a job. Now, I hoped and wished, but that's how everybody else looked at it. Well, here, here is Shane Helms holding the rag on my head, crying, telling me he's sorry. And the wrestlers actually convinced me with cell phones out that, to lie and say that I fell. Mm. And I said, guys, y'all know there's no way this is going to stay hidden. There's no way. Well, I do what the wrestlers asked me. And I said I fell to, I'll never forget it, it was to uh, Finley, Fit Finley, and, 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 and Laurinaitis. And I said, I said, we fell. I said, I fell. I slipped on and hit my head. And they knew I was lying, but they didn't know, they didn't see it. So they didn't know what had happened. And so I just went ahead with it, and, uh, you know, I flew straight home, got my – I didn't ask for WWE I – mean, excuse me, WWF. I didn't ask them to fix my head or go to their doctor. I did my own money, my own insurance to keep the heat down from everything. And all of a sudden, I came back to uh, – it was to, uh, to Raw the following Monday, and when I showed up, uh, after being told everything I was told and Shane Helms crying and everything, I see 
Shane Helms and the Hardy Boys coming at me, and I said hello to them. And none of them waved, and none of them said hello. And as soon as I saw that, I went straight to Laurinaitis. And I said, brother, here's the deal. And I told him the whole story. I said, here's what happened. Here's what's going on. Well, he got all 12 guys together, made us all apologize, shake hands. Because at this stage, he's trying to have a job. Right. You know, he's got 12 guys. He's got to get over to, you know, WWF. So we all shook hands and did the whole thing and got everything together. And uh, so we go out and have the match. And fr- from there, you know, we just really thought that, you know, everything was going to be okay. And then, you know, once the match happened uh, with everything, Jim Ross, after the match happened, you know, it was a bad match. We kind of stumbled over each other. We didn't have a good match. And me and Booker's had 10,000 barn burners. We actually had a kind of a bad match. And that night, believe it or not, WWF took the blame. They said, you know what? It's our fault. Pat does the main events and we thought he was going to talk to you guys and Johnny Laurinaitis has you guys so we thought he was going to talk to you nobody talked to you guys so y'all did the best you could don't worry about it let it go the next week was Atlanta Georgia so on Friday Jim Ross God and me are on the phone and Jim Ross says hey buddy just want you to know, I want you to take the weekend off, which was Augusta and Birmingham, and then Atlanta, the Dome. And he said, take the weekend off, let your head heal. We got big plans for you at Phillips Arena on Monday in Atlanta. So I was like, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. Well, the story got out, and it stuck like glue that my mother had called to get me out of those shows. Now, why in the hell would I cancel two shows after already working with stitches in my head when I had two drives when I'm trying to fit into the WWF two weeks being there? I'm kissing ass. I'm walking on eggshells. I'm shaking hands. I'm kissing babies. (laughs) I'm trying to get in WWF and do it right. And so somehow or another, though, the mother story to this day sticks like glue. And so we go out and do the whole deal. I I show up, get to the building, and they fire me. And I didn't even know there. I had to raise my hand. And I when they get me in the room, I raise my hand. And Jim, and Vince goes, "You don't got to raise your hand, Mark." I said, "Well, well I, I said I feel like I do." I go, uh, "It sounds like y'all are firing me." And Jim and, and and Vince goes, "Oh no, we're not firing you." He said, "We're." We're, we're, we're releasing you. And I, and I raised my hand again. And he goes, Mark, I already said you ain't got to raise your hand. I said, but what's the difference in firing and raising? I mean, and, and, and releasing. And he said, and the son of a bitch had an answer. He, he said, well, if we fire you, we got to redo your contract. He said, and if we release you, we can bring you back in three months and no problems, and you just you just start back up with us. And so at that stage, I knew they were full of shit, God bless them, but I also knew to start smiling, shaking hands, and just leave. And I did so. I started shaking hands, kissing babies, and realized it was just best to, you know, 
get out of there. And uh, I got in my car, bald and crying, and I called up, you know, my parents. They were in the stands, and I said, you know, it's town. It's 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 time for you guys to um, come on home. And they were like, "What do you mean?" I go, "I'm home. It's over. I'm not in and, the building anymore." Yeah, I'm not in the building there, so y'all can come home too. So, so you maintaining in that that Jim Ross set you up? Or did, did your mother ever Without make those a, phone calls? Absolutely not. Mother never made those phone calls, and. Even I even went the route like anybody else would. I even went the route, okay, let's go the route that my mom slipped up and made the phone calls. Now let's go this route. Why would you do the invasion of Booker T and Buff Bagwell in Tacoma, Washington, when the next week you're in Phillips Arena? Why wouldn't you just wait a week and put Buff Bagwell versus Booker T at the Phillips Arena in Ted Turner's backyard. So, to me, it all made sense. We knew even up in Tacoma, why are we wrestling when next week's Atlanta? But to me, it all kind of made sense. But, I, you know, let's be truthful to each other. Did my mom make the calls? Could she have? Absolutely. Do I think she did? Absolutely not. But I really believe with all my heart that, you know, that Jim Ross really, really, really took his time out and even took time on the round table with all the legends and took his time out to bury me and say that, you know, I showed up at these shows and I just don't know where that hatred come from for him to want to take that much time out to really, and I'm talking about, you know how Jim was? He loved football players and athletes. We talked every week when he was at WCW about but did he bury Did he bury you to the higher-ups? I don't know. I really don't know what happened. I just know that, and I did what they told me to do. They said, in three months, call us back. And I waited about two weeks past the three months. And so it wasn't right at three months. And when I, when I called Jim Ross... He literally answered the phone with a deep breath. <laughs> and I swear to God, I went, Jim, I'm just calling back because you told me to. I said, and he, and he said, and he didn't call me Bub. He went, yeah, Mark. I said, Jim, I'm just calling you back because you guys told me to call you in three months. I waited two weeks longer than that. And I'm just calling you back. And he said, Mark, we'll call you if we need you. And cut, on the phone up on me. Cut and dry, that's all. Cut and dry, that was it, brother. Uh, when I did the interview with Marcus Bagwell, I called you and said, hey, Marcus accused you of a couple of things. So I gave Jim a heads up, and uh, your response was that. I know you didn't listen to the show, but with respect to Marcus making the claims that he did, uh, set the record straight here in a few seconds. Well, you know, I never had any uh, personal animosity toward uh, Mark Bagwell. I knew... Uh, when he got, I knew him when he got in the business. A local kid there in Atlanta that uh, had a great look and, and uh, came into WCW uh, to learn his trade. So I've known him since day one. I had no reason to have an agenda against him for any reason. Uh, was I the guy that gave him his notice? Yes. Was I the person that made the decision to let him go? No. Uh, but I never went behind his back. I never had any agenda to sabotage his career 
sabotaging careers of people that might be really good or anybody else was never my agenda. I didn't. I had to manage over a hundred people, uh, and some of them were a little bit high spirited and hard to manage. It's like herding chickens. Uh, good luck on that. <laughs> but I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I. Here's the deal. I believe that he has the right to say what he wants. I'm, I'm sorry he believes what he believes. Uh, I have no personal animosity toward him whatsoever. And, uh, but you know, he's got the story wrong. I didn't go out of my way to sabotage his career. And I'm sorry that he thinks that way, but he damn sure has the right to believe as he chooses. And somebody said, you want to clear your name? I said, as far as I'm concerned, my name is clear. I don't, I don't, I didn't do anything to be, feel guilty about, but, uh, you know, I'm sorry he feels like he does, but, uh, and I wish things had worked out better for him, uh, in a lot of ways. But uh, I'm not mad at him now. I, I was never angry at him. But uh, you know, it's hey, that the job that I had, as you well know, how many how many heart to hearts did you and I have? We had a couple. <laughs> we had a couple. And it, hey, and I always tell people, well, what did you? What was the big, what are the biggest issues in that job? The two C's: cash, creative. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And, there, and maybe, maybe there's one here, or there, and yon, but cash and creative. But I. I, I, I just I was doing my job and I did what I was instructed to do, and I am uh, being uh, you know blamed for it, which is fine. You know, hey, I, it goes along with territory. But hey, I wish Mark Bagwell no ill will. He's healthy and happy and productive. But uh, I wish he felt differently about our situation. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five. $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.